Well, I invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in Hebrews 4 this morning, Hebrews 4.14, and we're going to be reading on into chapter 5. And as we've been talking about, we'll be thinking about Jesus as our great high priest in this particular passage. The writer of Hebrews has much to say about the high priesthood of, of Christ, and it's a theme to which we will return in coming weeks, but we get it introduced here today. God's Word says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Well, can, can the athlete atone for his blunder during the course of a game? Or can the husband atone for his callous remark to his wife? Can you atone for the mistakes you make, perhaps at work? Well, of course, it's possible to atone for these mistakes. The athlete can make up for his bad play. Suppose he lets the ground ball roll between his legs and a run scores. He can make up for that by hitting the game-winning home run at the last at bat. And the husband can certainly apologize for his callous remark and perhaps he can buy some flowers or do something nice for his wife. And you can certainly cover up your mistakes by cleaning them up and correcting them. Now, we know this word atonement, it comes into our language. These are some of the ways that we use it. When we talk of atonement, it refers to the guilty party's need to make amends for the wrong that they have done. But the word originated not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And the word originated in the Bible, in the English Bible. In the 14th century, John Wycliffe was the first person to translate the entire Bible 
into English. And of course, this was before the printing press, so it was distributed in manuscript form. And when he was translating it to capture how the Bible speaks of bringing man and God together, he used words like to one or one-ment or at one to communicate that idea of man and God coming together or being reconciled. When William Tyndale produced his translation of the Bible, and his was the first printed uh, English Bible, in 1526, he standardized this new word that John Wycliffe had created, uh, atone, at one, at one meant atonement. So it's a created word, and it's about addressing the estrangement between God and man. It's about making God and man at one again, or atone again. Now this problem of estrangement with God is the fundamental problem of the human race. Each of us is born out of fellowship with God. We are naturally at odds with God because we are sinful and sinners. Man was created to glorify and enjoy God. That's our chief end, our chief purpose in life. But our sin demeans God and creates a barrier between us and God. It breaks the relationship between us and God. When we sin, we betray God. We are traitors to God. We have aligned ourselves with the enemies of God. And what do traitors deserve? Traitors deserve death. Well, thankfully, the Bible reveals to us the way of atonement, the way that we can come back and and, and be reunited with God in a relationship. It is not through our own death, thankfully, but through the death of a substitute that is presented by a priest. Now, thankfully, uh, well, a priest, a priest is someone who represents you before God and who presents the various offerings and sacrifices required by God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And when you search the Bible, you go back into the Old Testament, the term, you encounter the term early in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 14, we're introduced to this fellow who's mentioned in this passage, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is described as a priest of the Most High God. And we read about him there and his interactions with Abraham, but we don't really understand much about him until we come to the book of Hebrews, and particularly when we get to chapter 7, where the writer of Hebrews expounds on this person named Melchizedek, and we'll talk about him in the coming weeks. Exodus, the book of Exodus, is where we begin to get our understanding of the function of priests within the Judeo-Christian belief system. Priests in the Bible had two functions. Number one, they represented the people before God. You didn't just bring your sacrifices and offerings to God. You brought them to the priest and he offered them to God. 
And the second function was their offering these various sacrifices to God prescribed in the law. Peace offerings, sin offerings, and offerings for atonement. Now before God gave his law to Moses, there wasn't an official priesthood. Uh, each, head, each head of a household would represent his family before God. But when Moses received the law, there were elaborate prescriptions there of all the duties of the priests, very carefully written out and very, very uh, elaborate and minute in detail. One of the twelve tribes of Israel, the Levites, were dedicated to the priesthood. That was all they did. And one of the reasons was that they needed a lot of priests because there was a lot of sacrifices that were prescribed by the law. There were daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and yearly sacrifices. The Levites spent all their time making all kinds of different sacrifices on behalf of God's people. A lot of blood being shed. And one reason there were so many sacrifices was that the, to show these people the seriousness of sin. No matter how small their sins might be in their own eyes, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be shedding of blood. And it illustrated the fact that every sin deserves death. Even un, unintentional sins had sacrifices that had to be made. Every sin is a capital offense to God. Well, one priest and all these priests was designated as the high priest. The high priest. And this was a special office of the priesthood. To the high priest alone, it was, it was permitted to enter the Holy of Holies, which he did only once a year on the great day of atonement. So the, the temple was divided into courts. There's outer courts and inner courts. And then right at the very center, at the very heart, was the Holy of Holies. And only once a year did the high priest and him alone go in to make the sacrifice of atonement for the people. He would sprinkle the blood of the offerings on the mercy seat, on the, uh, on the covering that was on the Ark of the Covenant, right into the very heart of God's presence, and that blood that was given as a sin offering there, uh, he offered up incense, and that was atoned for the sins of all the people. Once a year, he would go in there. And in order for anyone's sin to be atoned for, they had to be represented by a high priest who makes the sacrifice on their behalf. And it's true for them back in the Old Testament. It is true for us today. To be at one with him, there must be a sacrifice for sin presented by a high priest. Now the people of the writer, the people the writer of Hebrews is addressing assumed they needed a priest. They, they assumed this. Their problem was that they were being tempted to reject Jesus, the great high priest, for the Aaronic priests, the Levitical priests in the temple. Our mindset is different today. Uh, we, we might not see the need uh, for a priest as, as much because people in our culture feel that they are competent to re represent themselves before God. 
How many people have the mindset that when they stand before the judgment seat of God, their argument will be, well, I was a good person. Uh, my, my goods outweighed my bads. In essence, they are representing themselves before a holy God and are thinking that their good deeds will atone for their bad deeds. The problem with that is that we could never do, we could never make up for our sins with our good deeds. It's like a serial killer saying he should get off because he never had a traffic ticket and once helped a little old lady across the street. I mean, just because you've done a few good things, it doesn't weigh the sins that are all equally guilty of death. See, people who think this way, who think that they're going to just come in before God's presence and say, I'm a pretty good person, aren't understanding the seriousness of sin and how much they have offended a holy God. See, you need a high priest to make atonement for your sins through sacrifice. Who will it be? Well, obviously our text is promoting Jesus, whom the writer calls the great high priest. He commends Jesus to us in three ways, and I want, to, I want us to think about these three ways in which Jesus is commended to us today. First, he is called and prepared by God. Second, he is able to sympathize. And then finally, he passed through the heavens. These are all ways that Jesus is commended to us as the high priest to us, for us. Well, first, he's called and prepared by God. Notice in verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, and you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what it's saying here is that the very Son of God has been appointed to this position of great high priests. Look at uh, verse 1, it says, for every high priest chosen from among men. All those other priests uh, in, in Jerusalem were chosen from among men, from among the tribes of the Levites. But Jesus is the very Son of God. Those priests chosen from among men were fallible, sinners. They had to make sacrifices for themselves, but Jesus did not. He was perfect. And being the perfect Son of God, He perfectly executed the office to which He was appointed and called. Verse 7, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Jesus was reverent. He had a scrupulous regard for what is right. He was perfect in every way. He, he completely kept the law. He never sinned in any way. He, he did the positive things that he was supposed to do, and he refrained from the bad things that he wasn't supposed to do. And he did this not only in his actions, but in his thoughts, in his, in his words, and in the very intentions of his heart. He was perfect in every way. He was reverent, scrupulously regarding what was right. Verse 8, although he was a son, he 
learned obedience through what he suffered. Now this doesn't this is not like you and I learning obedience. We learned obedience by being disobedient. We had to learn how to be obedient. You know, when we were younger, we have to learn how to sit in church because as little kids we like to squirm around. When we go to school, we were learning how to behave and and how to treat other people because we don't naturally do that. Well, Jesus being perfect didn't have to learn obedience from disobedience. What this just means is that Jesus experienced obedience as he went along. He was obedient in every instance. When an opportunity came for him to be obedient, he was all along his life. Every hurdle of obedience, he crossed it. And by experience, he learned obedience perfectly. See, he came to us in, in, in human flesh. And that human flesh has certain weaknesses. He didn't have sin, but he was a human, and he got tired. He got hungry. Uh, he had to live in a world that was broken and sinful under a curse. Uh, He had to deal with all these things in his life. And when the devil comes to him, for example, when he gets hungry, he's in the desert fasting 40 days, the devil comes to him and tells him to turn these rocks into bread. You know, Jesus has a true weakness. He doesn't have a sinful desire in his heart, but he's got a human weakness that he sees, well, he could solve that problem by what Satan is telling him. But he shows strength within his weakness. When, when he is faced with a temptation because of human weakness, he always exhibited strength in the midst of his human weakness. So he was perfect, and he learned obedience by meeting all the weakness and the temptations that came because of his weakness with obedience and strength. Verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him again? He was already perfect. Um, he didn't. He's not coming from imperfection, but he is made complete or full. That's what that word means. It means he reached the max uh, of being the great high priest. He did everything that God appointed him to do perfectly. He obeyed in every respect throughout his entire life to the cross. And he was vindicated by the Lord raising him from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the perfect high priest because he completed the mission perfectly. He he was made perfect. He was made the perfect high priest because he fulfilled everything about it. The argument is, why Hebrews, people to whom he's writing, why would you go back to a human priest when you've got the perfect high priest in Jesus. Why are you rejecting him and going back to Judaism when you've got the perfect high priest here? So that's Jesus. He is called and prepared by God to be the perfect high priest. Now secondly, Jesus Jesus is able to sympathize. Now notice verse 2. When the writer of Hebrews is talking about the high priest chosen from among men, the, the Levitical priests, it says about that 
high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And then he goes on to point to the fact that he has to make sacrifices for himself to atone for his own sin before he makes the sacrifice for everyone else. He can deal gently. That word, <clears throat> deal gently, is a, is a Greek word, obviously. Uh, I'm going to say it to you, not because I'm trying to show off my knowledge, but I want you to listen to how it sounds, and then I'm going to tell you another word here in a minute. The word, deal gently, is metriopatheo. Metriopatheo. And that just means uh, moderate feeling, to moderate feeling. So what this is actually saying, it's a good translation, deal gently. Uh, he can moderate his feelings with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. In other words, he's not going to be indignant at those people coming to him with sacrifices because he knows he's a sinner too. And he's not going to condemn someone because he knows that, that he's probably done the same thing. You know, he knows his own weakness and therefore, he moderates his feelings of indignation. Now look at verse 15 of chapter 4. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Sympathize. That word in Greek is Sum patheo. The other word, moderate feelings, is metrio patheo. This is sum patheo. Jesus feels with. That word sim or sum means with. He feels with. So to have sympathy means you identify with another person's feelings, their emotions. So Jesus doesn't have to moderate his feelings. He doesn't, he's not tempted to be indignant with us, but he sympathizes with us. He comes alongside and he knows what we're going through. He has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet he was without sin. He's walked in our shoes. He's walked it perfectly, unlike us, but he knows the struggle that we have. Well, you might say, well, he was God. So he, he didn't uh, have our sin nature, therefore it was easy for him. Well, I'll just point you to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus sweated drops of blood in resisting the temptation to say no to going to the cross. You don't sweat drops of blood if you're having an easy time resisting temptation. See, Jesus is a high priest who knows exactly what you're going through. Yet he himself has never sinned, which makes him greater than any human high priest. You might think, well, since he's sinless, he's way above me. Yes, he is, but he sympathizes with us, which is why he went to the cross in the first place. That's the kind of high priest you want. Now, thirdly, he passed through the heavens. Verse 14 since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He has gone through the heavenly regions and has risen to the preeminent spot. 
He is transcendent. And in chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews is going to reiterate this point in verse 26. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus was ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. His work was finished. The sacrifice was complete. You'll notice that the Levitical priests only went into the Holy of Holies once a year and spent a few minutes there before God on behalf of the people and he made the prescribed sacrifice and then he left until the next year. But Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father the spotless, perfect Lamb who takes away the sins of the world ever sits at the right hand of the Father because His work is done. He doesn't have to stand up anymore. He sat down. The sacrifice was made. He made it. And you know, when He made that sacrifice, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now there was access into the very throne room of God We have access through Christ to the very person of God. We can know God and have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did. He has gone past through to the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father. And we sang this in our first hymn. Not our first hymn, but our second hymn. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety, my guarantor, stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. He's not pleading your works, he's pleading his blood. His blood for sin did once atone, and now it pleads before the throne. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cried, nor let that ransom sinner die. See, he is there, and he ever lives to intercede for his people. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great High priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me, behold him there. The risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ, my Savior and my God. Jesus is the great high priest you and I must have. There is no other. Now we're going to end where the writer of Hebrews begins. He starts with his conclusion and then he builds his case. I've built the case and now I want to give you the conclusion of the matter. So go back to the beginning of the passage. Since then, we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't give up. Hold fast to Jesus, the great high priest. Believe, trust in Him. Trust in His work and His sacrifice for sin. Don't trust in yourself. Don't abandon Jesus. 
Run to him. Embrace him. Hold on to Jesus, whatever the case might be. He is the high priest you must have. So that's the first one. Hold on to your confession. Or embrace Christ for the first time if you never have. And then secondly, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. A throne of grace. Not a place to present your works. Rather, a place to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Don't try to do it on your own. Go to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace from Jesus to help you. These people were going through difficult times in their lives. They were being persecuted for their faith. They wanted to give up, and the writer of Hebrews is pleading with them to just run to Jesus. Go to that throne of grace, and you will find there the mercy that you need, the grace that you need, the help in your time of need. Jesus is the high priest we need. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, again, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious word. What a great encouragement it is to know that we have Jesus pleading for us before the throne of grace. The perfect Lamb of God, the great high priest who has passed the heavens, is there for us. And one in him we cannot die. Lord, pray that 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 would not only thrill our souls today, fill us with hope, but fuel our service to you. Lord, you've done so much for us. What can we do for you? How can we serve you? How can we, like Christ, learn obedience? Lord, we pray that you would make us into your image. Everyone here and everyone who hears this, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.